Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Tropes. It's talking illusions, Hannah. A trope is something a whore does for money. <laughs> okay. <laughs> little little Arrested Development reference for, for you folks at home. Oh my uh, we're, gosh. We're, we're talking about illusions today. Il- mysteries. Mysterio. Yeah. We're, we're talking about new Spider-Man. We're, we are. We're talking about Spider-Man Far From Home. Um... And in this reviewer's opinion, it was far from perfect. Uh, that's my. It had the illusion joke. of a story. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> I would agree, one hundred percent. But it's it's interesting. I think there's so much to talk about with this one, and that's why it I thought is. it. You know, it definitely deserves its own podcast as sort of an addendum to our last three Spider-Man uh, <laughs> podcasts, which you can check out uh, at Talking Troops. Yeah, anywhere, anywhere podcasts are found, you can find our, our Spider-Man trilogy now, uh, I guess, series. Wow, David, we've got yeah, so many series. Yeah, it's a whole series. series. Um, but yeah, I mean, specifically, uh, I think I think you wanted to talk about addendum to our Spider-Man and his Spider-Daddies episode. Uh, I, I do, because I feel like this movie was just like all dads. Dad Central. Yeah, like Dad City. You know, like, he lost his... Like, I, I think we talked about in that one how uh, Spider-Man Far From Home had the most dads per capita to begin with, and now it's just, like, so many dads. Like, they just keep adding more. It's weird. Um, I, I think... Well, Spider-Man Homecoming, it, it had it had the two dads. It had Iron Man and uh, and and Birdman, Vulture. Mm-hmm. Those were like the two main dads. Were there other? Were there other dads? I'm trying to remember. I, maybe, maybe I was wrong. Maybe it was a different Spider-Man. No, it was Amazing was... Spider-Man Two had the oh, most dads. Oh, yeah, that's the one. You're totally right. And like half of them were ghost dads. <laughs> so this one we've got a dead dad, um, and it's all about like that dead dad syndrome. Yeah. Um, but then there's like three other dads. But like you know we've seen that before. It's just like this Spider-Man doesn't have an Uncle Ben, so instead of an Uncle Ben, he's got a dead Tony. Oh, like they do the like. Ben Parker suitcase or whatever, but then like they don't talk about it at all. It's just an Easter then, egg. But then like the suitcase also gets blown up, which is like kind of sad. I don't know. It's just an Easter egg. It doesn't have any meaning. It's no, just... like most of this movie <laughs> is what it kind of feels <laughs> like. Um, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Let's talk about the dads. Um, Let's talk about daddies. All right, my my dad count is fake Agent Fury. Who Peter thinks is not, real. I'm, I'm going to call him Not Fury for the rest. Not Fury? The, okay. Yeah. Great. I like it. Um, There's lots of spoilers in this, so, I mean, just, like, keep your eyes peeled. I mean, basically everything in this movie has been geared towards the end credits scenes. So <laughs> they skipped they skimped on the movie part and, and went full, like, we just got to get this end credits scene really right because we, fe- we fucked up with the end game end credits scene and not putting one in there. Ugh. Ugh, it's so frustrating. All right, so so we got <laughs> we got not fury, not fury, and then we've got uh, the uh, Mysterio, yeah, and then we also got Happy, and those are the three dads plus Dead Tony uh, Stark. But Happy's Happy's a like a stepdad who yeah, but that's a like, stepdad still a dad, David. Oh yeah, he's just like a stand-in for Tony, 
And then I don't think that, you know, like not Fury. He's just not very paternal. Like he's, he's just a, like a he's hard just an asshole. Nah. He's He's a dad. He's a boss, you know? He's like the mean he's like he's like horrible bosses. I don't I don't know. There was something daddish about why he was like, You need to take responsibility, son. Like I swear to God, those were like actual words out of his mouth. In yeah, this he movie. keeps saying stuff like that, but it still doesn't come across as very daddish. Maybe it's just like his performance. Like I feel like uh Samuel L. kind of phoned it in for this one. I feel like everyone phoned it in for this one. Or maybe he didn't know how to play a shape-shifting alien pretending to be himself. Yeah, which is a tough one. I, something was up. Something was something off. Was... Like, his performance in this one was just weak. I don't know. I just feel like everywhere Peter turned, there was a different dad telling him what to do or what not to do and how to do it. And then, like... The moral was you have to become your other dad, but do it your way. <laughs> That's what this movie was to me. He's like, I don't know if I could be the next Iron Man. And everyone's like, like no. Well, I mean, I guess you don't have to, but it'd be really chill if you did. <laughs> yeah. And then by the end, he's like, I'll do it. Yeah. Because you told me to a lot. Um. Side note related to nothing whatsoever, but also related to everything. Uh, I watched uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion for the first time. Okay. And it's like, it's like almost the exact same thing. Just like um, Shinji, like constantly trying to run away and like having weird psychosexual trouble (laughs) and his father figures being distant and mean and only caring about him for his abilities and what he yeah. can provide for the country yeah. and for the human race. See, that was so, true of, of all of these dads. A lot of parallels dads. there. That was true of all of these dads, and that was not true of Tony Stark. Yeah, Tony Stark loved him. Because he was a good dad. He dad was the, the good year. dad, but he's the dead dad. I mean, we didn't we didn't talk about uh, Endgame on here at all, as far as I he's remember. He's the dead dad. But, like, damn, Tony Stark for best dad. Like... That's that's my that's my take. That's my hot take. What? For for Endgame? Yeah. He goes off and gets himself killed when he's got a, like a little baby. Yeah, but I don't know. He's a good dad when he's with her. Yeah, well, I mean, anyone could do that. The other thing is just you know don't get killed in like a pointless self sacrifice when there's tons of other people who could have just as easily done it. Mm, all right. <laughs> And it's not good for his arc either, but that's a, that's an Endgame side note. Yeah, well, all right. Endgame well, side note. Maybe we'll come back to Endgame at some point. Um, maybe. But, but for now, we're talking about Europe dads. tourism, the movie, and the many dads who live there. <laughs> the many European dads. So, so many. I mean, let's just like let's just go beat by beat for let's a second. Do just do some like cold summary. So we start with a cold open that's pointless and establishes nothing. nothing. I don't know why they did it. It was. Supposed um, to be funny, but like our fucking theater was, was silent. Yeah, I think it was supposed. I mean, because be. but like, why pick that? Because the next the next opening after the Marvel credits is the best thing ever. So I would just start with that. Oh, oh, that. Sorry, what was the cold open? The cold open was um, that we just start off in in Mexico or oh, I mean, right. somewhere in South America. I can't remember where. Yeah. Um, we really and, didn't uh, that. That's how pointless I was. I forgot about it. Yeah, no, but the next thing I thought was funny. You didn't like. You didn't like the uh, PowerPoint slideshow with Comic Sans and the school news report. I I did, but it. 
I don't know. Like, our theater was silent during it. We Also, I was in a bad theater, I think. Like, it was, like, half empty. Yeah, maybe they all saw it already. Yeah. But, like, people were cracking up in my theater. I don't know. I, I Just, like... Like, it was fine, but... I just liked all the Getty images. The... I know. <laughs> it was so true to, like, what school news is like. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, they were explaining basically what happened in the interim. Like, the, the, this, the Thanos snap is kind of, like, explained away. Yeah. And so it's all... Everything with, like, the, these movies is going to be sort of convenience over plot. Yeah. Like, convenience is more important than having, like the plot feel naturalistic or, you know, unscripted or anything. Yeah. So, yeah, all of the main characters from the last movie uh, were snapped. So we don't have to worry about them being aged up five years. Yep. Except for the the new romantic rival who used to be a little kid, but now is a hot Right, so yeah, you can dude. now also, like, introduce as many new characters as you want because you can just say, well, they were aged up and, and now we're in their grade. Yeah. So it's all just kind of stupid. Um, but, you know, at, at least it doesn't directly break with continuity, which is what I thought they were going to do, was just kind of, like, ignore it. Mm-hmm. Like, Peter comes back and, like, his classmates are older, but he just kind of, like, hangs out with them anyway. <laughs> That's what I thought was going to happen. That'd be more complicated and kind of more fun, like, dealing with... I don't what know. Is, I, I don't know. Like, I think it'd be very distracting. I mean, yeah. It it would be a different movie for sure. Yeah, for sure. It would be more high school um, drama. And and we we open with the establishment of like this romantic subplot. So, let's talk about the romance. I liked it in the first movie. I hate it here. Well, in the first movie, like MJ was not like a major part of it. She was just sort of a background character. Yeah. Um so they didn't really have to stipulate on too much. But like here it's like they're both into each other. Um, for what seems like mainly, uh, just like shallow reasons, like (laughs) smart, funny, attractive, bingo, bango. Um, like they don't seem to have anything in common. (laughs) Right, right. Or a lot of chemistry. Yeah, they really don't have a lot of chemistry, which like, I'm so sad about. Yeah, but I mean, not every movie can have, you know... Emma Stone and oh my God. Andrew Garfield. Too much chemistry. Too much. Too much? <laughs> Just the right amount. All right. <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was just like, like it, there was trying to be like, this is cute and awkward, but then it was also like just kind of awkward. It just um, doesn't develop over the course. And no. it, it gets a lot of screen time, and there's just no development. Like, no. there's never a point where MJ is like you know, no, like, no longer into Peter or, like, really angry at Peter or there's just no development. Um, I mean, yeah, but, like, you don't have to get, like, mad at the romantic partner for there to be development. Well, I'm just saying that there needs to be an arc to the story. So, like, either one person doesn't know the other person exists at the beginning of the movie and by the end they start to notice them Mm -hmm. or one person thinks that they're into somebody else and there's a love triangle. Right. You know, there has to be development. Like, there has to be an arc. It right. can't just be two characters, both into each other, neither one will say it. A movie happens, then they both confess to each other, and now they're dating. Right, like, well, I mean, I think you can do a movie about that, but, like, the confession needs to come a lot closer to the end, and, like, that needs to, 
Like, it needs to be more pressured by the plot to happen rather than the way Well, it happens it right happen. after the second act climax and, and yeah. the events set off the, the third act. But, like... Eh. The, but like this is the point is I, I don't think you can just do that you really? have to have something else you, you can, like it, it can be a subplot in your story that you know two characters are just into each other but won't say it but it, there's no shape to that story there's no arc so you can't like rest drama upon that sure. and they try to but it, it only it doesn't work because everything is just misunderstandings or yep. you know inconveniences really yeah there's a lot of inconveniences in this movie and like they're pointless right so i all right well let's get back into like the little summary mode so we get to we're going to europe it's not really explained why also they're like it's a science trip but like what (laughs) that's it that's all why does it need to be anything else? I mean, maybe it doesn't, but I was just like, why are they on this fucking trip again? Like, every third scene, I'd be like, why are they here? What? I don't know. I just, I was more bothered by the fact that, like, the European trip doesn't have that, like, 90s European vacation aesthetic. It's kind of hard to describe, but, like, it was both, like, too realistic and too unrealistic <laughs> at the same time. Um, like... You know, the 90s aesthetic would be, like, everyone in every country is a complete stereotype. Like, you go to Germany and they're wearing lederhosen. Like, that's the aesthetic. (laughs) I mean, they did get pretty close in a couple of places, but... Right, well, that's what I'm saying. So, like, it's not consistent. It's not, like, a real, like, you know, school, school trip. No. Like it doesn't feel realistic to that. It but just feels it's like also not... Marvel wanted Europe's money, and so they were like, if you give us tax breaks, we'll come shoot in your beautiful location. Yeah, I think it ultimately ends up being more expensive, though, because of all the travel expenses and everything, and having to have multiple teams. Yeah, I mean, tax breaks don't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> it just felt like a giant, like, travelogue with some Spider-Man in it, you know? Like, right. like come to beautiful Venice. I mean, the first act is just so weak. I mean, it's, it's just yeah. lit, like, there's, we start off with, like, this literal refusal of the call where yeah. um, Samuel Jackson, you know, not furious, trying to contact Peter, and he just keeps, like, refusing the call by ignoring the call. Um, and it just goes on and on like that. Like, I just want to have a vacation with my friends. Like, great. Can can we talk about that? Cause like, I just don't know how I feel about this Peter who's like, nah, I'm kind of just a neighborhood Spider-Man again. But like, well, he got freaked out by space. I'll buy it. And died. Yeah. Like. I mean, fair, but like they don't actually address any of that, and they're just like, no, he just wants to be a regular spider. Like, I don't know, it just feels like, especially based on the previous arc, where like the last full length movie we saw with him in it was um, Infinity War. Right, it was all about him wanting to be an Avenger and wanting to take more responsibility. He barely sort of talks about this. Like, you know, they say, like, they have not Fury say, like, Tony made you an Avenger, like take responsibility, blah, blah, blah. Are you going to step up or not, kid, or whatever? But, like, that's not coming... Like, I don't know. I feel like Tom Holland, Spider-Man this time, didn't get, like, a ton of, like, emotion to work through. Like, it was all just, like, anxiety attacks. I mean, the emotion that he's working through is grief. 
And the way that yes. he's dealing with it is by denial and trying to work through it by ignoring it, pushing it away, pushing away the side of himself that was connected to to Tony and, mm-hmm. you know, all that. So, I mean, there is an emotional truth to it on some level. It's I, just dramatically, I think, is where it falls flat because all it is is it just has to be him continuously saying, I don't want to do the thing. And then the other guy saying, well, you, you kind of have to do the thing because the plot demands it. You know, the thing is going to be following you no matter where you go. So you have to do it. It does. It's it's not even a question of choice. It's just like this is what the story is happening to you. OK, I think that's that's where it falls flat because he's not yeah. being an active protagonist he's literally being like the opposite of active he's being inactive yes i would agree and and that's just like a necessity of the of the story but you know if he was um you know grieving maybe in somewhat a different way if he was um you know if the way that he was processing his grief was maybe by like taking it out on other people like maybe that would create more dramatic possibilities if I mean, was... that's back to the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Or no, Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield yeah, well... Spider-Man, sorry. Because, like, his whole thing is Uncle Ben dies and he becomes, like, this, like, dark-ass vigilante seeking revenge. And, like, I don't know. No, I'm just not necessarily taking it out on people in that way. But, oh. you know, taking it out on maybe his friends and family mm. or, or something. You know, like, if you could go in right. more into the the school drama right. of it with, with that. But, like, the point is that has to keep getting pushed aside for this romantic subplot. And just the fact that he has this plan that he's trying to enact, which I guess that's being proactive. But it, it's just not very engaging. No. like Because you, you know from the start that MJ is into him. Right. So they go on this vacation. <laughs> they go on this trip. Um, they've got two teachers there. One's Martin Starr, uh, you may know from Silicon Valley, and one's J.B. Smoove, uh, you might know from uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm or, you know, various other things. Um, yeah. Total waste of a J.B. Smoove. Uh, yeah. Did not use his, like, talents for improvisation or, or you know. Comedy in general. Yeah. None of, none of that is used uh, whatsoever. He just keeps talking about witches, and it's mm-hmm. funny, I guess. I think they probably tried to get Hannibal Burris, and he said no. <laughs> he was in the last movie. Oh, was he? I forgot about that. Who was he in the last movie? He's a gym teacher. Oh, God. Yeah, he was um, good in that one. He, he was. was like, he showed a video of Captain America. He's yep. like, I don't know, I guess this guy's a war criminal now. <laughs> Still got to keep showing you this, I guess, question mark. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just, okay. So, so they're in Europe. Peter's got this plan. There's a subplot where his friend gets a girlfriend. Uh, it's not funny. I think Ned and Ned and Flash are both not as funny as in the last movie because in the previous movie, it was, they were very pointed with the way that they were using tropes and subverting tropes. So you had, you know, the guy in the chair, but He's actually, you know, he actually gets to do that at the end of the movie, but throughout the entire movie, he's trying to, like, you know, be Spider-Man's second in command, his sidekick or whatever. Um, and, and then he finally gets to do that uh, by, by the end. But it's, you know, just him making phone calls to, like, people and, like, looking up how to drive stick shift. <laughs> you know, it, it was a good subversion of, of tropes. In this one, he's just, like, the weird best friend who has an awkward subplot where he dates a girl. And then, like, Flash. It's not as funny. You know, in the last movie, you thought he was funny in this one? Uh, no, I said he's not as funny. Like No, he's not as funny. 
Uh, like in the last one, he's, you know, supposed to be like the school bully. And the subversion is we get to see Flash as a completely different character where he's actually kind of a loser. And, you know, he's just making fun of Peter because he's insecure about himself. Right. And then in this movie, you know, the joke is just that he's a, a you know, a vlogger. Yeah. He's self-important. He's yeah. kind Rich. of vapid. His mom didn't pick him up from the airport. Sad. Hashtag sad. Yeah. I mean, neither, just neither of them are as funny as in the last movie because the last movie was so clear on which, you know, movies it was, uh, you know, doing pastiche of. Yeah. Um, like it was definitely doing Howard Hughes. And then in this one, I think it's a little less clear and it's more like, because this movie is trying so hard to be like a coda on the, the MCU that it doesn't really get a chance to make its own identity outside of that. Yeah. Well, actually, what do you mean by, by that exactly? Cause this feels just like. By a coda to the MCU. Yeah. So I see this whole movie as like a meta commentary on what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is for, what it does who's in charge of it, what's happening with it, where it's going, where it's been, etc. So you've got this whole thing where like we're grieving the end of the franchise, but then, you know, all these like individual standalone movies want to sort of be their own thing, and yet they have sort of a responsibility to carry on the franchise as a whole. Mm-hmm. Then you've got this character of Quentin Beck um who is trying to take over the mantle of Iron Man, but is doing it just by giving the audience exactly what they want. You know, uh, a big crazy superhero with a weird backstory, uh, you know, kicking ass and and in big spectacle, in spectacular fashion. And they very clearly, like, make him out to be sort of like a visionary filmmaker. Like, that's his persona right um i mean i guess you could read it that way like that wasn't my first well he's a director you know he talks to the people on his team and his team is what he respects and like we're we're artists we're geniuses and he goes you know hey can i get some more dialogue in this one i just need oh and could you tweak that a little bit right and he's wearing a special effects suit Mm -hmm. and he's he's directing sure yeah so he's the he's the stand-in for you know what it's like to be somebody making these films. Okay. And like, what are we doing? We're presenting our own version of the truth to the American people and to the world. And we're saying, this is the hero that you need. And it's kind of on some level critical of that, but on another level, it's saying there are heroes inherent outside of the stories that we're making up Mm, okay so i mean in in your view like what makes a hero in this in this movie what 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 is a hero in this movie specifically yeah what is the message of this movie in terms of what it's saying about the hero genre the superhero Mm. movie um i mean (laughs) honestly i didn't think about it until this okay so this was all i was thinking about when i came out of the movie was i was all up in the meta because i think there's so much meta level to this so there's a lot of talk in this movie about truth and what people will believe and people's individual point of view so i wasn't looking at it um talking about like the meta of like superheroes and all that but like it felt very like fake newsy like people will believe anything right but i'm not talking about that part even i'm just talking about what makes a superhero and why is a super what is a superhero in the marvel universe okay because before the answer was it's iron man it's somebody with incredible ability to enact their own will Mm -hmm. um but that's not 
quite enough anymore because now we've got Quentin Beck who also is somebody with the power to enact his will on the world but he's got you know just a really shitty theory of of heroism Mm -hmm. um wherein it's all just showmanship and it's all just getting people to believe in whatever you want it's a popularity Um, contest it's a popularity contest So what makes Spider-Man a hero on one level is that he has a perspective on the truth, which he's able to share with the world outside of, you know, um, outside of what this person is projecting. Um, So it's it's some idea about objective truth. Um, MJ has that line about, you know, like it's a quote from 1984 about – you know, uh, objective truth disappearing from the world and everything becoming subjective. Mm -hmm. So Spider-Man exists because he can kind of see through that subjective reality and, and kind of get to something that's real with his Peter Uh, Tingle and then his Peter Tingle. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but he basically the, the, the spider sense of it all is that it's (laughs) something inherent in him. It has nothing to do with his intelligence or, anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's just something innate within him that cannot be copied or replicated or simulated. Mm -hmm. Whereas everything that Tony had was simulated. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what makes Spider-Man special cannot be his brains because there's other people who are smarter than him. It cannot be his technology because other people are richer than him Mm -hmm. and it can't be his um, strength because that's simulatable. Other right. people are stronger than him. Yeah. So what it is is his inherent connection to the idea of truth through this sixth sense, this like semi-psychic power that can't be replicated, that he can just see through the bullshit because he has a spider sense. Yeah. I like that. That makes so, sense. So that's what's happening on the meta level is we're we're going back to this idea that a superhero isn't just the smartest person in the room, not just a rich person, not just this or that. We're getting down to basics and it's just somebody with like a superpower. And the, this particular superpower is the superpower of truth. Okay. So then we have truth going up against lies or illusions. Right. And then, right. And then on another level, you have just the fact that, you know, it's the incredible, it's the theme from the Incredibles, you know. You, you're going to kill real superheroes so that you can pretend to be one? <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like the third act of The Incredibles. Yeah. Which was a good movie. It was a better movie than this. It was. But I mean, if you're going to steal, I guess steal from your own company. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the meta is, the meta is when you break it down, it's Peter is taking over the helm. And so, likewise, somebody else is going to have to take over the helm of this franchise. And as they're pushing forward, they're going to have to move away from the idea of, you know, superheroes as these rich moguls who control everything and keep the technology for themselves and just, you know, hold the power. Um, But, you know, all that power does still exist. You know, Tony Stark built a giant satellite filled with drones. Yeah. Fucked up. Yeah, I don't know why he did that or when he did that or why he didn't use that in Endgame. Right, or like why those are allowed to just sort of like hang out there, you know? Right, I don't know how that works. 
um and and literally only he has the power to deploy them like yeah. that's fucking nuts also it's never that... questioned in this movie the existence of edith right it's just who gets to control it right and also it feels very anti what like tony's arc was in things like civil war yeah where it's, he wanted to be held accountable. Right, exactly. Like, this is pure unaccountability. Like, I just don't even know. Right. But he believes that, you know, even though he's never used it, because that would be too much power for Tony, that it's a perfect amount of power for Peter Parker, because Peter Parker is perfect moral human being. Right. He's pure of heart. He's a pure boy. He's the pure boy. Cannot be corrupted. Right, except for that part where he, like, tries to murder his classmate. Yeah. It's, uh, so, but it, it is, there is, like, meaning packed in there. There's this idea of power is not something that can be sort of evenly distributed or eliminated, it, it just exists inherently outside of anyone's intention, mm-hmm. and it must be wielded by someone. Sure. So, so, so Peter is the wielder, and his responsibility is to never use it, but also to never hand it off to someone else. Okay, yeah. I'm, all, I'm with you. And that's Disney. <laughs> <laughs> we can never use our great power, but we must also never dismantle it. Yeah, never give it away to anybody else. Never divide it into, like, smaller parts. Yeah. Um, it's just one massive conglomeration that keeps accumulating power, keeps accumulating all of this stuff. But we've got a good guy in charge Somebody's got to wheel it, so it so might as well be the morally good one, the morally righteous one. So don't worry about it. It might as well be, it might as well be the one that owns your childhood and all of your childhood make a wish dream your dream you know that's what it's got to be and they just have to wield that power over the truth over you know who lives and who dies in their stories oh my god so it's a lot um in back in like the plot plot of it um i i I wanted to leave it to you to talk about aunt may because i know you have feelings i hate her david i just (laughs) but you don't hate her do you? No, like, I kind of hate her. Like, if this is her, I hate her. What do you hate? Oh, everything about her. She's like, hey, you know that traumatic experience you went through where, like, we were all dead for five years, and also, like, you were in space, and then your, like, replacement dad kind of person died? Um, Forget about that. Be better at PR. Also, don't forget to be Spider-Man all the time, 24-7. Kate, thanks. You're the best, kid. Like, I don't know. It's just, like, this weird, like, like Aunt May's role is supposed to be the emotional support for Peter Parker. You know? Like, she's supposed right, to be there. Right, but she is also always the person saying, like, you have a responsibility as well. Yes, you know, but that's even a, back in the Raimi films. But But it's always the sort of thing where it's like, you have this responsibility, but ultimately it's your choice to make and I can't make it for you. This Aunt May is like, I'm young and hot and dating your fake dad's lackey so um go be spider-man so i can make out with him some more um but then they're like not dating at the end question mark so who gives a shit um like it's I don't just know. really unfunny it's at just, the end of the day it's very unfunny it's not particularly likable like she's just sort of there and then she's not there and like he talks to her on the phone once but the only thing that it, again, it's there for is to make more jokes about the fact that she and Happy are fucking, and that like <laughs> Peter. <laughs> I don't even know if they're fucking. I mean, who knows? But like, it's a 
they're they're seeing each other for sure. Right. Like it's there for that, and then it's there so that she can give Peter one more like, "Don't forget to be Spider Man." Speech. Uh, like, good thing you were there, huh? Right, buddy. And he's like, well, "Yeah," but then like clearly he's not feeling it, and never once does Aunt May go, "Hey, buddy, you okay there?" <laughs> like. Is there a reason you seem to, like, not want to be Spider-Man? Can we talk about that? Like, no one talks to Peter about that. They just keep telling him to be Spider-Man, and then eventually he does, you know? like Yeah, except for Quentin, who tells him it's okay to not want to be Spider-Man. Yeah, but he's evil, so we're not supposed to like him. Like that, yeah. Well, I mean, this is a pretty standard thing for Spider-Man is, you know, his his wishes, his wants are less important than his responsibility, his duty. Um, I mean, you yeah, know, but... You I don't sh- know if this is necessarily the stories that we need right now, but I mean, surely people in our generation do need to do need to be a little heroic. There is evil in the world. Yeah. Um, and it is our responsibility to stand up so to it. So we should storm all the fake news media and destroy their illusion machines. I think it's I think it's fair, you know, on a metaphorical level, we do need to destroy the illusion machines. Yes. Um, oh, Lord. It's just all because there's no story in this one. There isn't. Be- it's just a series <laughs> of events thing. that happen. And then they do the one shot where Peter's doing shit with technology that is very similar to the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man shots of him, like, doing shit. And then Happy's like, all right. He like gives him, like, a satisfied sort of smile. And Peter's like, what? He's like, nothing. It hit me, though. Uh, it hit me, though. Oh, did it? I rolled my Because I have a lot of nostalgia for the first Iron Man movie. I mean, like, that's fair. And I think it hit other people as well because it does work. Like, you know, I, on some level, I, I he is it. like Iron Man. Yes, I don't know. And there is that connection that your brain makes and your brain goes, oh, Wait, it's like that thing. Maybe, maybe I didn't. I just, it was not as subtle as it should have been, in my opinion. Like... I got. I don't it. know. I think it's fine to be unsubtle. It's a Marvel movie. I mean, when have Marvel movies been particularly subtle? I mean, occasionally. I'm fine with being bludgeoned over the head with themes. Um, it did hit me. I wasn't sure if it was earned, um, especially yeah, since really like Happy wasn't. has not been the cor- the kind of dad figure that he maybe should have been for that plot point to make sense because yeah. he's the one giving the speech about how you can be the next Iron Man and you, you're the best you you can be and you can make mistakes and that's fine. Yeah. Like he was not dad enough for that scene. Well, because this movie is filled with two other dads. And so happy is subjected to a third right, of but, the dad. You know, guy. we've got the bad dad and then we've got the stern dad. Like if anything, it should have been, Either either Samuel L. Jackson should have been the one to be giving that speech about you can you can be the next Iron Man. Yeah. Iron Man was actually made a lot of mistakes. Um or you know, like uh it could have been um it, it could have been just that we take Samuel L. Jackson out a little bit, you know, reduce his role significantly, and just have it be happy who's the one encouraging him to to be Spider Man more. I don't know which one would've worked better, probably the the former. Um, yeah. So basically, they end up going the 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 fake plot for Mysterio. <laughs> now, forty minutes into this podcast, um, is he's he like faked these elementals that are supposedly from another dimension. Um, yeah, and like the point is that it's kind of like a silly, cliche, boring plot. But yeah. that doesn't really help the first two acts of this movie. No. 
Because it's really not until the third act where we find out, oh my god, Mysterio was a fake? And then we get that whole scene where he's, like, explaining his entire plan. But here's the thing. I feel like... Like, anyone who knew that Mysterio was going to be the villain and did, like, even, like, a cursory Google search into that, like, knows that, like, it's all going to be fake. Right. Well, we knew that, but, like, what we didn't know is exactly what his motivation was and exactly, like, how his plan worked. Um, and and there was, there was sort of, like, an idea that maybe because he's from another universe, they're going to do him as a hero. But, like, obviously most people knew that that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. I mean, especially when you, quote-unquote, supposedly defeat all your elemental villains, like, within ten minutes. Like, so there's a wind monster in Mexico, which was the opening scene that didn't need to be there. Then there was a... um, Water monster in Venice, fire monster... In Prague, during the Festival of Lights, or whatever it is. Um, And... You know, they defeat it, of course, because they're fake. Um, and it's in Prague where Peter accidentally pulls a, uh, like, a piece of projector off of the one of the drones, I guess. Yeah. And, and so, through his love interest, who clocks him as Spider-Man, <laughs> um, she is also like, this is your web on this thing. But then the thing like freaks out and they're like, whoa, it's a projector. Oh my God. All that shit was fake. Holy shit. I just gave a fake hero control of a million death drones. This is bad. It seems it, again, this is like a big problem for Marvel movies in general, but like, uh, it seems like Mysterio's, uh, plan, uh, revolves around some things that it, like he shouldn't have been able to plan for right. like his plan does ultimately revolve around him getting Edith, but it seemed like the, the entirety of his shtick was not sort of centered around impressing Peter, but more impressing Nick Fury. Yeah. So it was just kind of lucky that he formed this emotional like rapport with Peter to the point where Peter was like, you're as good as Iron Man. Like that was kind of, I mean, I feel like the beard and shit was there. Just to be like Iron Man. The beard. He's got a beard, and he's a white guy with brown hair. He's got a beard. Uh, he puts on the glassic glasses, and uh, he really looks like Iron Man. Gee Willikers, I should I should give it to him. I do like the fact that Peter just calls everyone Sir and Ma'am. I I do love that. It's that's a side note that has nothing to do with anything, but I just wanted to throw that out there. He's not as quippy in this one. He's as he not was in the last one. He's not at all. Doesn't got the quips. I mean, I will say it's a classic Spider-Man plot of, like, Peter wants to get laid and then fucks up so hard that the world is in trouble. Like, that's that part's pretty classic Spider-Man. I, I But I still don't think, like, when he hits his lowest points, you know, whenever he fails, I really don't think, like, he did anything in particular to fail. He just, like, his powers were really not suited to fighting giant elemental monsters, and also right. the monsters weren't even real, and right. it was all staged. So, like, so it was all you know, like failure. Nick Fury keeps saying, like, you fucked up, Spider-Man. Get your head in the game. <laughs> you know, you got to take this seriously. And he's like, well, I didn't really fuck up in any way. Whereas in the last movie, every time, or in, you know, in Homecoming specifically, mm-hmm. like, every time Spider-Man fucks up and, like, you know, Iron Man says, you fucked up, it's real. Like, yeah. you really fucked up. Like, he could have died. He got other people Or he puts a trouble. bunch of people in danger unnecessarily. Or, yeah. you know, like, it's all, it's all real. Um, and we know it's real. And in this one, like half of us knew that it was fake. 
the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, but but anyway, to get to the, like Mysterio's explaining his plan scene. So like, what do you think is like the the symbolism there of like his motivation versus like vultures? So in, in a lot of ways, it's like business as usual for for a Marvel movie. It's a disgruntled employee, former Stark employee. Yeah, right. Almost all the villains are either disgruntled employees or disgruntled competitors. Right. Um, <laughs> everyone's very gruntled. Um, they're no, no they're very, completely disgruntled. Yeah, yeah no, no one's, one's gruntled. gruntled. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I guess it. I I did laugh at the scene where he was like over dramatically spouting about how like Tony Stark had named his like groundbreaking uh invention fart and just sort of like the silently mouthing it, barf, it backstage. Hannah, oh, barf! On. Excuse me, barf, not fart. Sorry. <laughs> It's fucking similar. <laughs> it's exactly it. the same. Yeah. But it's just, yeah, like, I don't know if it works. And then you've got, like, the other guy who was, like, he was in Iron Man 1. It's and it's not very serious. Like, it's very cartoony. It is cartoony. I like cartoons. Like, this whole movie. I, I like cartoons, too. But, like, I feel like, like, I don't know. There were certain parts of this movie that just felt so Sam Raimi that I was like, what am I watching? Like, this doesn't oh, yeah? feel like a Marvel movie. Like, yeah, there was, maybe it was something with the editing or, like, like I don't know. a lot I thought of this... It was, this was, like, the most Marvel movie, Marvel movie I've ever seen. I don't know. Like, there are a lot um... of special, like, I, I'm just talking sort of, like, on a, like, a technical aspect. Like, I don't know. Like, I wasn't impressed. Like, there were visually a lot of things where, like, like, not even counting the, like, fake monsters who are supposed to be fake, you know? Like... There were certain special effects that I was just like, I, uh, this is bad. Like, I can see through this instantly. I don't know about that. I mean, like, the Mysterio scene where, where you was know, a lot of stuff we've in finally Venice. gotten to the, 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 we finally got into the twist in the, in the third act where Spider-Man faces off against, um, Spider-Man in the Nightmare Zone was great. I loved everything about that. Um, yeah, and, and it I showed that, that like, awesome. the, the writers clearly understood why people like Mysterio and have been demanding that he be in a Spider-Man <laughs> movie for, like, the past ten years. Right. Um, so they got it, you know, and I'm sure that that impressed a lot of people. It's just that, like, the first half of the movie is, like, really boring. Yeah. But but what were you saying about, you know, visually? Oh, I, I don't know. Just, like, there were a couple moments in Venice, like, um, when the water monster first starts attacking and then, like, we're, like, seeing people being thrown places on, like, bouts of water. And just, like, the water looked like the fakest shit I've ever seen. And it's, like, I don't know. Maybe there's just been too many water disaster movies that use actual waters. So I, like, I've seen see that. It. Like, maybe I'm more keyed into that or something. But just, like... I don't know. There, there were a couple moments like that where I was just like, this isn't even supposed to be like, oh, it looks kind of fake so that you can sort of guess Mysterio's plot. You know, like, it's just like, it's just like fake. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It, right. I, it, and like, things were exaggerated and like the jokes fell flat, but seemed to be like these larger than life sort of gapes or not gapes, um, japes, Jesus fucking Christ. Um, like, I don't know, like everything just felt like it was trying to be bigger than it was. And it felt 
But that's that, Marvel. I mean, to me, that is what makes Marvel Marvel. It's like trying to be bigger than it is, never taking anything seriously. Um, specifically, the joke about the Peter Tingle, that's so Marvel to me. Yeah. Because the joke is, you know what the line is. You know it's supposed to be called a Spidey Sense. But they're too meta to to be like, well, we can't have anything goofy in there. We can't have anything cliche, even the cliches that were created by the source material. Right. So in order to avoid cliches, they specifically throw in jokes about the cliches, which is still a cliche. Um, Right. So like, you know, Spidey Sense, the joke is it's kind of a silly power. And then they call it a Peter Tingle to make it sound silly and similar, but not quite the same. This was, like, also the problem that people had with, like, why does Peter never say with great power comes great responsibility? Right, well, because it's a cliche. <laughs> sure, it's a cliche from the original movies, but you can't have anything that is, you know, cheesy or comic book-like. It has to be completely modern cinema style. Yeah. So okay. that's Marvel to me. I mean, if it all felt very Marvel. And, like, visually, I, I also thought it was pretty Marvel, especially the way that they did Mysterio and, like, uh, how he flies around. And he just, you know, he just looks like Thor or, you know, Doctor Strange. On a totally, completely side note, um, <laughs> Nick Fury, least professional spy yeah. ever. So he just, like, sends like his guys to just directly supervise this trip and like they're very unsubtle about how like out of place they are and he yeah. sends this european woman to like give him oh, a God. super suit and she a fully grown adult woman yells at a 16 year old boy to strip for her yeah um and then stares directly at him like doesn't turn around or anything like how is this professional it's, like if you have um, if you have like an agent who is young or emotionally unstable, like why would you put extra pressure on him and have like it felt weirdly <sighs> like Euro trippy, you know, like that terrible trashy movie from like two thousand two or something. Yeah, I never saw Euro Trip. Yeah, it's not good. Um, <laughs> like it was one of those things that I caught on cable at one point or something. Um, but it's just like, it's like a sex farce through Europe, basically, where the boy's trying to get laid. Right. But, I mean, it's not really like a sex farce. Like, it, there's no, nothing else in the movie is like that. It's just this No, weird... exactly. But, like, it feels like this is a weird nod to that. And, like, you know, like, his romantic rival catches him with the woman and, like, takes a photo that he then tries to delete off the phone with Edith, but then that causes the drone strike and hijinks but it's just a plot inconvenience it's like nothing yeah it's i i feel like for most of this movie like jokes just completely land flat and then in the the last third there's some dramatic elements that work um but then we just keep cutting away to happy and the kids hiding in a vault oh my god which is also really cheesy and like totally like i liked all of the act all these kid actors in uh, in, in, the last movie. in Homecoming. But here, I feel like literally everyone just fucking phoned it in. Like, I don't a, even know if they phoned it in necessarily. Like, yeah. It just, like, the the writing was just bad. Like, they weren't given anything to work with. But it, like... Uh, right. They, they could not make those lines work, basically. Um, when we have Not Not Fury, which is what I'll call a Mysterio pretending to be, uh, Talos pretending to be, 
uh, <laughs> pretending to be Nick Fury. That's not not Fury. I immediately like pegged that because anytime that you don't see a character for a while and then they appear without explanation, it's always a shapeshifter. All right. Like, just keep that in mind, guys. It's always a fucking shapeshifter. Um, <laughs> Once you've introduced shapeshifters. Because otherwise they just would have had a scene of him like figuring out where he was. Right. You know? Right. Well, and also it's like. It's the sort of thing is, like, why would Fury take him to this abandoned warehouse location? Like, he knows. Like, it's well, no, not a... no, he didn't. That was the point. I like, know, exactly. It wasn't an, he didn't think it was an abandoned warehouse location. He thought it was the main office. But, I mean, well, that's the... But it doesn't matter because, like, whether, you know, wh- whether it's Nick Fury being fooled by this projection or not, you know it's not him because... There was never a scene of him figuring out where Peter was, and there was never a reason for him to get in contact with Peter. Right. He just appears there and yeah. picks him up. Yeah. So you could see that yeah. twist coming a mile away. Um, um, one thing that I did love in the climax, so so after the sort of like kidnap Peter, find out who he told about Mysterio so that we can murder children uh, mm-hmm. bit, that was really cool and I liked, and one of the best parts of the movie um, he, like, tricks Peter onto some train tracks and hits him with a fucking, like, bullet train. Um. Oh, yeah, it was wild. I was, I was so on board for that, and I was like, this could have been the whole movie. Yeah. But then, like, later in the final battle, he, like, hits him with a couple of cars and knocks him into, like, the Thames, and he's like, done, I've killed Spider-Man for real this time. And I'm like, you already hit him with a moving train. Like, a couple of cars and some water aren't going to do much. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. That's always the thing, is, like, people have to sometimes assume that Spider-Man's dead in order for the plot to work. Yeah, um, which is fine. And he never is going to be. Yeah. You know, if it were me, I would never believe that he was dead until I had actually, you know, stabbed him through the heart, cut off his head, something head. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's a, it's a kid's movie, so. <laughs> no severed 16-year-old head. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. We haven't reached that point. Yeah. Um, okay, so sort of to to head towards the, the finale here and, and towards wrapping things up, the post credit scenes, right? Yeah. This is what the movie was made for. We have this post credit scene of... J. Jonah Jameson as Alex Jones Alex Jones. He does a great um, job. It's I love it. It's it's complete like fan, you know, fan soup. Like it's just yeah. hearty, delicious fan soup. Um It's good. And and I, it is good. And I just what I was thinking, like while I'm watching it, was just well, wait, why isn't this just the movie that we were watching? I know. Because it's the themes of this movie. And it's more interesting, and it would be an, a crazy way to start off a movie. I mean, it's going to be a crazy way to start off the next one. <laughs> right, but I mean, like, but like, what was so important in this movie? Nothing. Nothing. You could skip everything in this movie, because the only thing was, it was all just build up to that post credit scene. And yeah. that's the illusion of story, Hannah. That's why I started off this this podcast talking about illusions. Because when you walk out of that theater, everyone's just talking about J. Jonah Jameson. Everyone's just talking about those last 30 seconds. Yeah. No one's talking about the first half of the movie with weird sex jokes and a subpar romantic subplot and no villain and too many dads. (laughs) Like, 
you know, poorly structured emotional storytelling. Yeah. Like, nobody's talking about this or the fact that it wasn't funny. What they're talking about is, oh, man, the next one in, like, five years? That's going to be crazy. (laughs) Oh, my God. So that's that's the illusion of storytelling. He's fucking outed Peter. Did you understand the the last post credit scene? Yeah. So you, you find out that um, that the agents of Shield on Earth right now are um, the aliens. The the aliens. The um, oh god, what are they called? The ones from Captain Marvel who shapeshift. I don't remember their name either. The scroll. They were all scroll. Yeah, the scroll. Yeah. And so you find out that. Um, you know, uh, Nick Fury is either up on a spaceship with a bunch of scroll, um, or in like a space station, or they're traveling to a planet with the scroll, or they're on a planet. It's not really clear, but the point is he's working with the scroll. Um, and whether that's going to be a good thing or a bad thing in a future movie is, you know, we'll find out, right? I mean, the scroll traditionally, for a lot of Marvel lore, are villains. Sometimes they're neutral. Um, but, you know, in, in Captain Marvel, they were the good guys. Uh, so, you know, we'll see whether, like, you know, Nick Fury's being tricked by the scroll or whether, you know, th- there's a lot of different possibilities. But, like, that one is definitely le- leading into another movie. Um, I don't know which movie that's going to be a, a main feature in. I'm guessing probably Black Widow, maybe. Um, but I'm not sure. Um, and then... You know, you've got this. You've got this fucking Daily Bugle twist. Yeah, it's just so big. It just it just eclipses the whole movie. Yeah, and like you know, it's commentary, so people have to talk about how it's commentary, and like <laughs> it's just the entire movie is built around that. But why couldn't that just be this movie? Because like all you would need to do is like have that be the first act twist, right? So right. the movie like, starts he fights- out. He fights Mysterio, find out that he's fake, Peter does some shit, and then, boom, there's your first act, and then the rest of your movie. Right, and then Mysterio, throughout the entire movie, can be doing fake Peter stuff. You know, like, that was what he did in the comics, was he would, like, frame Spider-Man for committing crimes that he committed because he would, you know, just project Spider-Man doing evil stuff. That's, like, his whole deal. So, like, why not just have that be the movie? People are speculating if Mysterio is really dead. Um, I don't know if that's worth thinking Well. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. I mean, it might be relevant if they keep him around to continue to torment Peter, uh, but. No, because if it's not him, it'll be somebody else. Okay. All right. That's fair. And the police are going to be after him now. And, you know, now the town hates Spider-Man and now he's on the run. And, you know, hey, like maybe the next person is the Punisher. Like maybe they bring in the Punisher for the next one. Or maybe it's going to be Kraven the Hunter and he's hunting him because, you know, he knows that he's an evil Spider-Man. And then, you know, or maybe it's Sandman. Like who gives a shit? Point being, the next movie's the next movie. This movie is the movie you should have been focusing on. And that's Marvel, that's Marvel at its, like, peak Marvel, is that the whole movie is irrelevant. What's important is the post-credits. I don't know if, uh, I mean, that's definitely true here. I don't know if that's, I would say that's true for all of the movies. I think it's been becoming more and more so. Like, what are the think pieces written about? What keep people coming back? 
That's been a that's been a big part of it. I mean, yes, but but I don't know. They're also in this transitional phase. I feel like where you know people feel like sure the story was sort of closed out, and I, I think that's where some of my disappointment with this movie came from. But you're totally right in that like they're spinning the narrative of disappointment away from wow this movie was kind of lackluster to oh my god can you believe that final twist in the post credits um. But, like, they're, they're trying to – they have to build something kind of new, basically, and they're deciding what direction to take that in. And I don't know. I, I do feel like you're right in that they're manipulating it by by having sort of stunt shit like this. Well, I mean, even, like, with, um, with Infinity War, like, there was a lot of people talking about the movie, but – a lot of the think pieces were about, you know, or, or just the, you know, the posts, the the media coverage. A lot of it after the movie came out was just like, what's this next Captain Marvel movie going to be like? And that was the intention, you know, like, oh, is the next Mar- is the next Captain Marvel movie going to be, you know, in the past? Oh, it's going to have Nick Fury in it. Are we going to find out more about his past? You know, that was what people were talking about. And now what people are talking about with this is all going to be, oh, man, what's going to happen with Peter? You know, what's going to happen with the universe? What's that next movie going to be like? And that's more important than talking about what this movie is, which is lackluster. Right. This is my ranked worst Spider-Man movie. It's pretty down there for me, too. I. It's 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 below Spider-Man 1 because at least Spider-Man 1 had Green Goblin. <laughs> uh, yeah. Gosh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to have to look at my list again, but this is definitely down there for me. And I didn't not enjoy the movie. Like, I enjoyed it. It was viscerally entertaining. I don't know. There were entertaining moments. I think on a whole, I didn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to. Like, I went in mm. really optimistic. Well, I just mean, like, the third act, the third act is enough. It's enough to carry it. Okay. And I think that's true. Um, I I don't think that's really, like, arguable. Like, Spider-Man versus Mysterio is interesting. Yeah, for sure. Like, yes. Like, I, I don't know. It's just there's no good setup. Yeah. It's just not good setup. Yeah. Yep. I think I agree with that. Ugh. Uh, All right. Well, a disappointing first first movie post-Endgame for Marvel uh but but what did you guys think i mean it's po- it's possible we're alone in this one i mean we're the only people in the world who like amazing spider-man 2 <laughs> or actually i'm the only person in the world who likes amazing spider-man you're 2. the only person <laughs> yeah uh so you know maybe we're wrong here you know maybe you can you know face off face off with me uh, <laughs> come but, on our you know, show and jake debate gyllenhaal, us not buying it i think jake gyllenhaal did fuck great. you jake gyllenhaal jake gyllenhaal was a boon to this movie he did an excellent job fuck him <laughs> um, hate him all right well no more jake gyllenhaal uh, no he did fine. <laughs> tweet at us at talking tropes if you have uh thoughts complaints comments or you want to request a trope um we're totally open to to talking about a favorite piece of media you have or, or a favorite uh type of trope that you love um yeah yeah tweet at us hit us up uh catch you later we're swinging away (laughs) but stay stay tuned for the post-credits scene that'll change the entire podcast oh there's no post-credits no there's not all right bye everybody bye